from Purdue University in West Lafayette, Indiana. This is Techies Today, the Purdue Polytechnic Podcast. I'm John O. Jim Tanoose is a clinical associate professor at Purdue Polytechnic Vincennes. He teaches supply chain management with emphasis on globalization and leadership. While many instructors do a fine job teaching supply chain management on campus, Jim literally provides a global approach to student learning. Working closely with Purdue Polytechnic's Office of Globalization since 2017, Jim shepherds his students through international airports to four cities in Europe, Munich, Germany, Prague, Czech Republic, Hamburg, Germany, and Rotterdam, the Netherlands. In commerce, supply chain management involves the movement, storage, and inventory of raw materials and of finished goods from point of origin to point of consumption. It's also the management of the flow of goods and services. Now, this definition probably oversimplifies what has become a complex field of study. To help us gain a better understanding, Bridget O'Brien and I talked with Jim Tanous about supply chain management and why going on a study abroad trip provides students with unique insight into this increasingly global field. Supply chain management is the movement of components, the movement of raw materials to create a product. So it tracks the, uh, I guess you could say, commerce from raw materials all the way to end user. And supply chain management is becoming increasingly important in today's society because of all the trade that occurs and because globalization is making our society much smaller. And oftentimes we don't produce everything in America like we used to several generations ago. We need importing and uh, our own manufacturers need an export market. And so the, the study of that constitutes supply chain management. So supply chain management is key to a good economy? It really is, uh, Bridget. And that's because without one little part of a car, the car won't work, and so oftentimes we can buy some of those parts uh, cheaply, and oftentimes they have more quality from other countries. We simply can't do everything ourselves like uh, our post-World War II society, whereas someone could work in a factory after high school and support a family and have a pension on that factory job and be fine the rest of their lives and not have to get a second job. In today's world, oftentimes with automation and robotics, those extra skill sets are needed for those who work in a factory. And that infamous skills gap is where Purdue Polytechnic Vincennes and Purdue Polytechnic Institute in general comes into play. We put students in positions so they are qualified to fill those positions. They are not necessarily positions of several generations ago. Oftentimes, Students work in a uh, manufacturing position for several years and develop some skill sets, certifications, uh, Six Sigma, whatever, and move on to other factories. And these positions are not the dank, dirty factories that we may think about. They are very well-paying jobs, oftentimes starting salaries near $60,000 a year. And unfortunately, the state of Indiana can't fill those jobs. There's simply not enough qualified 
students, applicants out there. And that's where Purdue Polytechnic Vincennes comes into play. We help uh, solve that state, the state of Indiana's skills gap through uh, providing students the necessary skill sets in college so that they can hit the ground running in those positions. And uh, companies like Toyota, located in Princeton, Indiana, about 45 minutes south of Vincennes, they don't have to hire people and then fire them six months later because they were never qualified in the first place. Jim, could you tell us about your experience before you came to work as a professor in the Polytechnic? Yes, absolutely. Uh, I was a Purdue student and graduated in the uh, Cranert School, and my first delve into, uh, I guess you could say, uh, a real job was my internship in Minneapolis, Minnesota for the Minnesota Twins. And I worked for a uh, company that worked out of the Metrodome in operations and marketing. And so I was the uh, head of concession stands and we sold souvenirs uh, in some concession stands and hot dogs in other concession stands. Um, so I, how did you get from concession stands to <laughs> supply chain management? <laughs> well, uh, concession stands fill a need and they get the products from the vendors to the consumers. And the consumers, uh, as far as Minnesota Twins fans, are most likely to buy on game day. And so uh, that was my first experience in working in supply chains. I guess not considering a position in Dairy Queen when I managed inventory at 17 years old. But I was able to parlay that internship into a position at Conseco in Carmel, Indiana upon graduation. And I worked there for a few years and then I went forward and pursued my master's degree from Indiana University. So hopefully uh, some of your listeners don't turn off the podcast at this point. <laughs> I finished my master's degree at the Kelly School of Business and started teaching at community colleges in Indianapolis. And then after the third or fourth position I had in higher education, somebody introduced me to Purdue Polytechnic Lafayette. And I taught classes there for three or four years, as well as in West Lafayette. At that point in time, I decided to pursue my doctorate degree. And so I finished my doctorate at Purdue. I worked at St. Mary of the Woods College in Terre Haute, Indiana. As a, an assistant professor and associate professor, I was faculty assembly president for two consecutive terms. Uh, during that time, I also worked at Indiana State University, and I have been at Purdue Polytechnic Vincennes for about five or six years full-time, about seven or eight years uh, just teaching classes as an adjunct, and I've been acting director for the past two or three years as well. What kind of high school student would excel in supply chain management? Any student that likes to work with their hands, somebody who is able to put something together and has those skill sets but maybe hasn't polished those skill sets uh, at 17, 18, 19 years old. Someone who doesn't know what they want to do, explain to them in a more nuts and bolts fashion what supply chain management is. My department, the School of Engineering Technology, reported on top industries for Purdue hires from 2018. The top two industries were manufacturing and machinery, and then second was the automobile industry. And so obviously in Indiana, particularly Southwest Indiana, there are lots and lots of jobs available in the supply chain world for the automobile industry. That's Honda and Toyota who are located down there. Um, in today's world, those companies procure their parts and components for these vehicles from nearby. So usually 
companies in the Midwest supply those parts. And so the supply chain is alive and well in Indiana, particularly in that area of the state, constituting those uh, Japanese multinational automobile companies. We have three or four students currently that work at Toyota, and they are taking classes on a part-time basis. And we also have some students that are or were in our program that graduated and then worked for Toyota and one student even who went on the study abroad and now works for GM in Northeast Ohio. You mentioned uh, Toyota and other auto manufacturers that are in Southwest Indiana. Of course, these are global companies. They are. How important is it, do you think, for today's students at Purdue Polytechnic Vincennes to have that global awareness, that global experience when they graduate? Ah, well, that is a nice segue to the study abroad. Um, it's absolutely necessary, just the awareness more than anything else. One student on my study abroad in 2017 had never been on an airplane before. One student on this past year's trip had never been out of the state of Indiana before. And so this experience allows them to truly flourish and take advantage of the value of the Purdue degree. They have different things that are keeping them local. Oftentimes it's a position in employment, potentially a family, and they wouldn't have access to the Purdue degree otherwise. And this is good in some areas. They have skill sets and they have some different capabilities they bring to the table, but oftentimes one area that's lacking is the uh, globalization. They have maybe been more secluded or they haven't been out and about like some of the other students, particularly the international students here on the campus of West Lafayette. How long have you been doing the globalization trip? I guess I wanted to look at the history of it. Yes. Uh, whose Perfect. idea was it? Okay, so um, I enjoy traveling abroad, and in my previous position, I presented at various academic conferences around the world, and there became several cities in Europe that I became very accustomed to. Through these conferences, I figured out the lay of the land, public transportation, some of the places uh, where tourists go and some of the places even where tourists don't go sometimes uh, that can be more interesting than any of the other places that you see on websites. And I figured out these places to where as I felt confident enough in them to put a trip together. The last destination, Rotterdam, Netherlands, we call it Rotterdam while we're in Europe, I actually first went to the Netherlands as a 20-year-old with a roommate of mine when I was at Purdue. And I enjoyed Dutch culture so much that I went back every few years just for the enjoyment of it and not necessarily for academic purposes. And I wandered around enough to whereas I really got accustomed to it and I know exactly where to go. In fact, I put together a, a four-part series, Central Europe on a limited budget. Experiencing culture and political history doesn't have to be expensive. So I familiarized myself with a lot of these European cities before the study abroad was ever put together. The Europe tour consists of four particular cities. How did you decide on those four Correct. cities? Correct. Well, let's start from the beginning. In a message in the Purdue Polytechnic Institute magazine from, I believe, 2016, Dean Bertolini stated that students have changed in terms of their motivations and how they learn. And so in light of this student evolution, the study abroad was created to allow for applicable and relevant experiential learning. And so 
For the fact that the automobile industry is so relevant to the economy of Indiana, I included two automobile factories in that tour. And for the fact that supply chain management and being in the crossroads of America, we are right at the forefront of the American supply chain, I picked the two largest ports in Europe uh, as the last two stops on the trip. Uh, Port of Rotterdam is the largest port in Europe. Uh, a supply chain mecca, I believe one out of every three products goes through the port. And then the port of Hamburg, it was the second largest port when the trip started or when it was created. It's now the third largest. You went with two ports and you went with two automotive cities. What were the two automotive cities? Munich, Germany is home to BMW and that stands for Bavarian Motor Works. Bavaria is the southern part of Germany and so that's the first automobile factory. The second is Skoda, which is a Volkswagen subsidiary. They don't sell through the Skoda name in America. They sell via Volkswagen, but they are a key player in the Chinese automobile market as well as the Central European and Eastern European automobile market. And so we tour both of those factories before we tour any of the ports. Because the supply chain is constantly moving and mobile, and European culture, people are always on the move. We take that to heart and the trip involves moving literally ourselves from city to city to city to city. Otherwise, uh, a trip that was just static in one city wouldn't truly represent in my mind how the supply chain works. I'm curious to hear about how you advertise the trip to your students how many students went, mm -hmm. what their expectations were before they went. Absolutely. Polytechnic statewide students have attended each trip. The first two trips also included West Lafayette students. And so it's worth three credits, and students can include those credits, in most cases, as an elective or substitutes for several courses that I teach, face-to-face -face and distance, a global logistics course, as well as a global leadership course. I sort of do a tour of the various statewide locations in the fall semester to provide students information about the trip, and I have a PowerPoint I show them, costs and the commitment, uh, what constitutes the three credit hours, and um, students can sign up for it, and oftentimes students would not feel comfortable signing up for a trip where they didn't know the leader, and so that's why I think going around to the various locations and offering them a little bit of FaceTime, it allows them the confidence to sign up for the trip. The first year, 10 students attended. The second year, 30 students attended. That became a little tough to manage, so I pared it down this last year, and we just kept it open to statewide students, and there were 18 students on the trip this last year. The European Commission published a report in 2005 which revealed that the EU is the world's leading automobile manufacturing region and also stated that more than a third of all automobiles are manufactured in Europe and more specifically Central Europe is I guess you could call it the um, central location specifically of the automobile market in Europe. The Czech Republic is a manufacturing hub like the state of Indiana, Czech Republic relies on its economy for manufacturing purposes. Munich has a lot of automobile production and production of all sorts of different products for that matter. And the Netherlands as well, not necessarily production based, but supply chain based. 
they consider themselves Central Europe, and the Czech Republic, almost uh, the Czechs resent the fact that they are considered Eastern Europe because for so many years they were not voluntarily part of the Soviet Union. There are two themes of the trip beyond just the disciplines covered that students might take in class, like economics and organizational leadership, industrial management, global marketing, quality production, organizational change, and of course supply chain. But there are two themes of the trip, cultural immersions and the history of capitalism and trade. And those two are inherent to understanding how the supply chain works. Oftentimes students won't work at home or in their region of the state, they will work elsewhere. And an understanding of culture is important for students to understand uh, because they will be faced with people from different cultures throughout their entire lives. And the history of capitalism and trade comes into play because Central Europe has been the epicenter of so much political change over the years. Obviously, we understand what Germany has gone through, through the World War I, through the Cold War, the Czech Republic as well, for the fact that they were under the thumb of the Soviet Union. And even the Netherlands, they were occupied during the war like the Czechs were, and they have come out of that more unscathed than some of the other countries in Europe. One of the things that we do in that country is see their city hall. The city hall was left standing in Rotterdam. It was one of the only buildings left standing, as well as the Church of St. Lawrence, which is a massive building. During the German aerial bombing before World War II, they strategically left the city hall and post office so they could find where people live, and they left the Ch Church of St. Lawrence as a landmark. And so we go into those places and see these buildings, and we understand the nature of the political history a lot better. In fact, there's a statue of not just Winston Churchill in Rotterdam City Hall, but also of George Marshall of the U.S. Marshall Plan. And so the United States has had a pivotal role in shaping these areas of the world. And so oftentimes students, especially younger students, don't understand the political nature of where they're at until they see it themselves. In the Czech Republic, we go to the Museum of Communism and students learn that there were many statues of Stalin in during the Cold War and students were forced to learn Russian. This was not something that they voluntarily did. They were forced to do it. And after World War II, they were under the thumb of the Soviets for so long, uh, up until 1989, the fall of communism, and they have really embraced a American style mindset in their economy. And now a lot of the younger people speak English as well as Czech, whereas the older generation speaks Russian and Czech. And so oftentimes students don't really understand the, the, the really complicated nature of the political structure, particularly in Central Europe, that was so tumultuous for so long, as well as the United States' role in helping them move forward and helping to uh, provide an impetus for the freedoms that they enjoy today. You mentioned the students overseas, that nowadays many of them speak whatever their native language is in addition to English. So I wanted to ask, when you were over there with your students, were they able to interact with their counterparts 
over there who could who could speak English and, and share their culture some? Yes, we are very lucky in America because everywhere we go, people seem to really like Americans. And no matter what you may read on the news, Americans are well received. And not just that, but everybody speaks English and they want to speak English with Americans. So beyond just a few words in Czech or German or Dutch, please, thank you, or where's the restroom located? Sometimes we don't understand the nature of America's role in the global marketplace because we're just accustomed to everybody speaking English. And I have yet to have a student that was fluent in Czech, German, or Dutch attend the trip, and nobody's gotten lost, and nobody's run into a situation where nobody spoke English, luckily for us. It sounds like this is as much of a history lesson as it is a supply chain lesson. Absolutely, you don't necessarily know where you're going unless you realize how far you've come. And so the nature of capitalism, the fact that the ports in wartime were controlled for the benefit of whoever was in charge at the time, they didn't allow products to come and go. For instance, the port of Hamburg was obviously blocked off from the United States during World War II, but after World War II, when they were part of Western society, the port of Hamburg allowed products to come in, and that included American records. And so the fact that American records came in the port of Hamburg in the late 50s, early 60s, the, the Germans that lived in Hamburg had access to American music, unlike a lot of other people around the continent. For instance, Chuck Berry, Fats Domino, Elvis, Little Richard, some of those American artists who were rock and roll pioneers became very well known in Hamburg, Germany. And so we take a tour of where the Beatles played when the Beatles were 16, 17, 18 years old. And we are able to check out some of the venues where they first sharpened their skills as musicians. This was only possible in Hamburg because those people were able to understand and appreciate and covet American rock and roll through the port. In the Czech Republic, they weren't able to have Beatles records. And so this potentially was one of the main reasons in the impetus of the fall of communism. They were jealous of the access to American rock and roll that other people nearby had access to. In fact, one of the most favorite parts of touring the Czech Republic, and uh, particularly Prague, is the Lenin Wall, which became a symbol for Western culture and over the years became a center point for the uh, hope and desire to have access to American and Western products like cassette tapes throughout the 80s. That's true. I've heard that. I've heard that part of the reason Russia fell... You got it. ...was because of people sneaking in underground records of, of the Beatles in particular. Absolutely. And they wanted what everybody else on the continent had, which was forbidden by their governments. And there was no other way for them to obtain American music except in bootleg or underground form. And truly, that's one of the reasons of the fall of communism is just the hope and desire that they could have access to these products, particularly American music, just like everybody else around the world had. What do the students come back with? What's new to them? What leaves the, the greatest impressions? What do they talk about yeah, when they take it back? I would say self-confidence more than anything else. 
the fact that they could get around, feel comfortable in their own skin, and in some instances feel like they can conquer the world by going abroad. I don't micromanage their schedules at night. Oftentimes we have a little bit of free time. The willingness, and I actually even advocate for students to go explore as much as possible. This capability, oftentimes they don't know that they have it in them. For instance, one student on the 2018 trip had never really worked outside of Vincennes before. His name was David Bernard, and he landed a really good internship with GM in Northeast Ohio. He went on the trip, he came back, and he packed up, and two days later, he started his internship. By the end of his internship, he parlayed that into a secure job offer, and he finished his last year at Purdue Polytechnic Vincennes, graduated in May of 2019, and now he works there full-time. He credits this study abroad for allowing him the uh, exposure, the resume capabilities, and more than anything else, just the confidence to go and do that. And now he is applying to grad graduate school at Penn State University. They're paying for his graduate school, and he works in the international automobile industry and is doing quite well. Certainly, I'm not going to say that he would not have been able to do this without the trip, but I think the trip helped nudge him in that direction. What surprises have you or your student participants experienced on these trips? We tend to think that everybody is like an American. Sometimes we're isolated because we have such a, a massive market. Uh, that's not generally the case. For instance, we have a game when we're on the German Autobahn. It's find the bumper sticker or pothole. Those are very Hoosier American phenomenons right there. You don't see too many potholes on the German Autobahn, if any, and you simply don't see bumper stickers on cars. Uh, car watching has become a common pastime in Europe, and some students understand the nature of the multinational automobile market, but just looking and seeing the types of cars that are, that are driven around tends to be fun. And there's not too many American cars or pickup trucks. That's always a surprise. Students can expect that service is going to be a lot slower. That's not inherent uh, to our American way of life. There's no drive-throughs. Bottled water is served in a glass um, container. And so some of the disposableness of American society is often a surprise. The attire is not necessarily what we are accustomed to. You don't see labels and fonts on shirts like we would here at the Purdue West Lafayette campus where everybody is wearing Purdue attire. That's not necessarily part of their culture. There's a lot uh, more conservative attire, which is some of the things that are very surprising to Americans. The, the biggest surprise is the public transportation aspect of their culture, and we have public transportation passes in each of the four cities we go, and that's how we get around, as well as trains. And oftentimes, students from America or that live in Indiana have never been on a bus and aren't used to public transportation, but that's how Europeans get around, and so that's how we get around while in Europe. Six months or a year or two years after your students return from one of these trips, and you talk with them and you're reminiscing about the trip, what do they tell you? was their favorite part. What do they tell you about how the trip changed their life? Some of the most uh, memorable aspects of the trip are the unplanned moments. And so, for instance, one year, 
Some students were out after we had our last excursion of the day, and they found some Norwegian students that they befriended, and they went out and sang karaoke all night. And so these sorts of excursions that are unplanned tend to honestly be the, the best memories that students have. I'd like to be able to pat myself on the back and say that it's our structured tours that are most memorable, but for the fact that I actively encourage students to explore, it's these unplanned moments oftentimes that are unstructured that do tend to be the most memorable aspects of the trip for many students. And so I'd say that these are the, the best memories beyond just the relationships that are formed uh, between the students themselves. Most students keep up on social media with each other and that commonality of Americans being in a new place brings together students for long-lasting friendships that oftentimes they don't anticipate before boarding the plane to take, take on the trip. You told us about how you had had a chance to explore Europe when you were 20 years old. Now that you're a professor at Purdue Polytechnic, what does it mean to you to be able to introduce students today, today's young Americans, to what becomes life-changing experiences like these? Well, I'm ju I just feel that I'm paying forward some of the enjoyment and love of culture, particularly European culture, that some of my professors enabled me to enjoy when I was a student. And so sometimes we just need a little bit of push in that direction, and that's all it takes for somebody to turn themselves into a lifelong learner of culture and globalization and we're so isolated in America, and I think it's important to have that early first experience because if students don't necessarily travel early on in their lives, then they may not do that the rest of their lives. I've had a few students that didn't have a passport before the trip and certainly need a passport for the trip, and subsequently they've traveled the world. Those are the great stories for me to hear because it leads me to believe that some of the influence and some of the different things that I tried to get across during the trip itself uh, were long-lasting and imperative to their career trajectories. Uh, for instance, I had a student, Evan Knight, an aviation technology major from Greenwood. He works as a technician at Aerosmith Peterson Motorsports, an auto racing team in the IndyCar series in Indianapolis. And so he repairs and maintains the primary and backup race cars for the team. After the Škoda factory tour, he commented, what I found most interesting was the racing history of Škoda. Working in the racing industry, it's always awesome to see different types of racing that is popular around the world. And to give somebody access who is already on their way to achieving some additional goals and in, in industries such as the global automobile racing industry makes it worthwhile for me. I had another student from the 2019 trip, Cody Phillips. He's a mechanical engineering technology student from Greens Fork, Indiana. He studies at Purdue Polytechnic Richmond and works for Allhouse Tool Engineering in Richmond as a CNC machinist. And uh, that company has worked in the automobile industry for over 40 years and from their website has developed work holding special machines, lean systems, and fully automated cells for a wide variety of automobile components and sub-assemblies. And at that position in the company, he builds automation cells that keep batteries from overheating. And so these cells are installed into the wall mounts for Tesla batteries. And so like many students on the trip, he is earning his Purdue degree and studying abroad not to help start his career, but to instead enhance it. And some of these students 
gain the most from the trip uh, as compared to other students because I think they appreciate the nature sometimes of the global automobile supply chain industry and those are the students that potentially sometimes come away with the most uh, memorable experiences. So Jim, as we wrap up our conversation, what would you tell a high school student who is considering coming to study in one of the majors in Purdue Polytechnic at any of our locations statewide? Why should they choose a major in the Polytechnic? Oftentimes with a 3% statewide unemployment rate, students can absolutely, as high school graduates, find a good job right after high school. The problem lies in two or three years after they've entered the workforce and they've found that potentially there are some roadblocks to their career development because a bachelor's degree or associate's degree is needed in many of the industries that they want to pursue. And so having that degree, particularly from such a outstanding brand as Purdue, will allow them to have that career mobility that they wouldn't have otherwise. And I think the Purdue placement rate at Purdue Polytechnic Vincennes, as well as some of the other locations around the state, that kind of says it all. These students can hit the ground running, but not only are they achieving some good positions right after their degree, but if you were to ask them two or three or four years down the road if their degree was worth it, and that's when truly the Purdue degree comes into play. It's those several years after they've um, really established themselves and proven themselves in those positions, the Purdue degree will certainly be parlayed into bigger and better things throughout their career uh, lifetimes. The name of the trip that Jim Tanous hosts is the Purdue Polytechnic Central European Multinational Automobile Organization Supply Chain Experience. Students at our locations around the state who are interested in going with Jim on a study abroad trip can contact him via email, jtanous, that's J-T-A-N-O-O-S, at purdue.edu. Student service coordinators at Polytechnic locations throughout Indiana can also provide more info. Our students in West Lafayette can visit our Office of Globalization to learn about similar study abroad opportunities in Europe. By the way, an extended length version of our conversation with Jim is on the Tech Purdue YouTube channel. And in the video, Jim narrates a slideshow of nearly 30 photos from his most recent study abroad trip to Europe. See the episode notes on our website for a link to that video and Jim's web page. Our next episode of Techies Today will be a companion to this one. We will visit with Polytechnic students Lindsey Drake and Carson Deal about the trip they took to Munich and Prague, but their study abroad experience took place one month before their first semester at Purdue. That's coming up next time. Our podcast is produced at Purdue University in Purdue Polytechnic's Office of Marketing Communications. Follow the Polytechnic on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at TechPurdue. The podcast is on Twitter and Instagram at Techies Today. Send comments via email to techiestoday at purdue.edu. Our executive producer is Melissa Templeton. I'm John O, the podcast's editor and producer. Thanks for listening. That's what's happening for Techies Today. <laughs>